0: Radio contact! Yeah.
1: Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. I had a great time last week talking with artist and writer Mike Collins about Star Trek Discovery, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, there's plenty more where that came from. Mike and I discussed a number of topics, and a significant portion of our conversation ended up on the cutting room floor. But you can hear the outtakes from that conversation, as well as outtakes and extras from conversations with many of our show guests by joining our crew on Patreon. I'll have more details at the end of the show, but in the meantime, head to patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D to learn more. One of the things Mike and I talked about last week was his work on the recently released graphic novel Apollo, which presents both a technical and an emotional retelling of the Apollo 11 moon landing from the perspective of the astronauts and their loved ones and co-workers back on Earth. The moon landing was, of course, 50 years ago, as of July 20th of this year, and it still stands as an unbelievable achievement conceived of and executed in such a short amount of time, like we hear about SpaceX projecting this and that, uh, the rocket can land on a postage stamp now okay now what when do we get to mars not so for the brave men and women of nasa who went to the moon in a decade not because it was easy but something something you get the idea After talking with Mike, and as a former juvenile NASA head myself, I wanted to get my hands on Apollo and review it on the show, so that's what we're up to today. I called up Mikan Hana, my co-host from the Just Enough Trope podcast, to give me a hand with that. We're always reading and reviewing comic books and graphic novels on Just Enough Trope in our Comic Book Club segment, so I figured that she could help me out and we could also chat a bit about some of the news that's floating around the Star Trek universe. So that's what we're doing this week. Stay tuned after our review of Apollo to find out where you can get a chance to read Read it, strap yourselves in, clear the launch pad, all systems are go. And with that, let's get underway. Well, thanks for stopping by the show again to do a little roundup for me and um, most excitingly talk about uh, this book we're going to
0: talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk about it as well.
1: What's been happening over at the Justin Enough Trove podcast?
0: Well, we just recently uh, did a show about uh, streaming TV, specifically Prime, Amazon Prime. And we talked about uh, three of their their latest shows, uh, Carnival Row, Undone, and The Boys, and talked about kind of where streaming TV is at, where it may be going. Um, is Prime doing better than Netflix? So
1: yeah, and something that we did, being with our fingers on the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. on the pulse, uh, we were just a little ahead of the pulse. Uh, you know, if you ever had like a uh, first aid class or whatever, they find your pulse. It's like well, I can't, I can't find it. It's, I'm having it's trouble. Here. It's over here. Yeah, I know it's I there our, somewhere. I think our fingers were a little upstream because the second that show came out, then it was announced by NBC that they got Peacock oh, coming out. Yes, and a bunch yes. of other uh, streaming deals were announced, like Seinfeld going to Netflix. Yeah. Uh, which is surprising, you know, with the whole Peacock situation. And that is so, surprising. Yeah, yeah. But I think the thrust of the show, other than reviewing those Amazon shows, was whew, it's just uh, pew, pew, pew. it's just a Wild West fire with yeah. the uh, Westworld saloon piano because uh, you know it's just it's a fight. Who knows? What's Everybody
0: going on. has something. Yeah.
1: Um, and the dust hasn't settled yet.
0: No. And one thing we didn't, I think we've talked about before, but we didn't necessarily super get into uh, on our last show is like, how many of these services do you sign up for? Yeah, yeah, do you, yeah. Do you sign up yeah, for all
1: yeah, of them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is anybody worried about this? Do we all think, I mean, you are apparently. Well, we all, or at least you have read that somebody is, and now you're repeating it on, on this <laughs> show. Do we, do we think that we're going to uh, be suffer under the crack of the whip of the, the digital uh, store demon? It's like, pay, pay for the subscriptions, pay. I'm <laughs> up to 47 already.
0: Yeah, <sh-> well, I. I'm a nobody, li-
1: nobody thinks that's gonna happen.
0: No, but I am a little concerned. I mean,
1: people have paid, overpaid for cable, for since cable's inception. When yes. I talk to people, I've never really had cable. I had cable for a while um, when I lived with some other people, and sure. they had it, so I chipped in. But I've never like made the choice to get cable. So maybe I'm biased. But everybody I talk to is like, which cable package? Oh, you know, it started at eighty nine ninety nine. No I know put the milk back in and you're gonna spit it out some more because I also got the NFL package and that's 189 a year right and then you know what well, you gotta have like the Disney you know so that's another 45 yeah it's like a car payment.
0: Well, that's kind of what I'm honestly concerned about, is that there's going to be so many streaming services, we're going to end up paying what a, ca- a cable package was.
1: Okay. But like, so worst case scenario in your little uh, simulation tank here, yeah. it reaches the level of what cable is now. Yes. Okay, fine. But, I mean, people seem to find that sustainable even though I can't get liquid down when I hear about that well, price.
0: Well, exactly. But and I don't I... think
1: it's going to be there because I didn't want the football and I didn't want half the channels that were on the cable in the first place. And so right. if we cut all those out and it's all a la carte, I think we'll, you know, find a general price point that reflects what you're actually getting and not okay. the things you're forced to get.
0: I, I really hope you're right because I, I want to believe you're I right. I want
1: just Star Trek Discovery and Picard and all those CBS shows. Yeah, uh, I don't want the good fight. No, no offense. You
0: can't choose it though. I just don't you get watch it. it.
1: Yeah, but right. But I'm just I'm saying like the fractionalization maybe will lead to us being able to do that. Now you can do that right now. I mean you can go on Amazon or some or iTunes Apple and buy individual episodes of shows. Sure. But we all know that that's not cost effective in the long run. Oh no. But I think that they are moving away from that as a business model itself. You know, it's all about... I think it's going to come all down to, like, the stripe of a certain brand, genre, as the, you know, Shudder. You like horror movies? shutter has got just horror movies. And then right. whatever other licensing deals they can cut. That's the real key. It's the people that hold, you know, the media conglomerates that hold the uh, streaming rights for these things mm-hmm. are the ones that are really in charge. Yeah, so I think for true. now, you know, we'll, we'll get into these certain lanes, like the horror channel, the sci-fi channel, the Star Trek channel. And I think that will serve we're still our whips are cracking our backs yeah but it doesn't feel that way because you don't have to pay quite as much okay because how many things would you sign up
0: for I don't know um I'm really honestly very intrigued by Disney even though I know that they're horrible and evil and like (laughs) you know have have like citation needed yeah I mean they like own like so many huge things right now um and it's like, do I really want to give them more money? But it's like, I'm really intrigued by all these shows that they're going to have, and I I hope that they're good, and I kind of want to be there to see them. So, um, you know, there's there's that, and it's like, well, maybe, I mean, I'm not super in horror, so I don't think I'll be like checking out Shutter. But something that offers like a lot of sci-fi, I might be interested in checking something like that out. You know,
1: a company that. Goes out of their way to possess uh, many intellectual properties, mm-hmm. forcing you essentially to patronize them.
0: Yes, questionably
1: evil. A company that preys on your FOMO in order to get you to sign up for their thing—truly <laughs> evil.
0: Right, right. I,
1: I can't. I'm not affected by that. Okay. Although I'm paid for a butt. Three years where the Star Trek Discovery yeah. CBS All Access at this point, right? Uh, but uh, I'm not afraid of that. Okay, you know, uh, for me, it's it's all word of mouth because if I hear that the Winter Soldier and and the other guy is great, then I guess I'll have to find a way to get that. Yeah, um, you know, by just buying it on iTunes or, or just a la carte, or you know, if I also find out that the Wandavision is great or Wizards of Waverly Place, The Next Generation. Right. selena has got a visor now. Um, (laughs) If they're all great, then the sum total will allow me to justify getting the thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. I guess, I think with Marvel, there's, like, this fear of, like, missing out. And, like, if I, you know, I know. But if you miss out on, like, the shows, like, maybe you won't know what's going on in the movies.
1: Yeah? Yeah. What happens in Iron Fist, Season 1?
0: Well... Yeah, but I feel like that was different because that was Netflix, you know, and I feel like they didn't care about the marvel shows on netflix as much
1: so your lack of answer tells me you didn't watch iron fist season one
0: i watched the first two or three episodes and then we stopped watching <laughs> so you, it, have ability, reason, you have the ability you have the ability to
1: compartmentalize no argument uh and you know, okay
0: yeah i guess you're right I it's do. all
1: coming out on blu-ray anyway one
0: yeah day, so. i guess all
1: right well hey star trek everybody <laughs> um Thanks for joining me. Uh look what's in the news. Look at this tangle of thorns. Mm -hmm. Have you seen some of this stuff?
0: Uh probably seen some of it. First thing I haven't seen all of it.
1: I wanted to say that. Uh good news, bad news, who news? Uh David Nevins, uh who is the chief creative officer at CBS, was being interviewed at a conference, one of those, you know, two hundred dollar plate things where they go to give each other back rubs. Sure. And he was being asked about the Star Trek brand and he says uh his Comments boil down essentially to what we're trying to do right now with Star Trek is build that brand. We want it to get younger and more relevant to people.
0: Okay, do we want Star Trek to be younger? I mean, it's been around for a long time.
1: Are, you I, I appreciate your natural <laughs> your natural prey instincts to is that a predator? <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this question dangerous? Is he a bad guy, so I have to disagree with him? I, my that's one way to go about it. My supposition is, it's always been relevant. It's relevant because well, in the true. grand tradition of sci-fi, it's about now, not about the future. It always has been. Um, best example I can think of, uh, you know, the Zindi nine eleven Earth in Enterprise, two and a half years after nine eleven uh, happened mm-hmm. uh, on Earth. Yeah. We we make it about what's going on in our lives. It's that's, that's why it connects true. to us. Yeah. Um. So okay, great, good. You're gonna reaffirm your commitment to that, I guess. And also, younger. Now you're just insulting me. Now you're just being nasty.
0: Yeah, you're
1: talking about me.
0: Yeah. Is he insulting fans by what he said?
1: No, he's he he. There's a perception that it is a brand. That is old. And it is a brand that's old. Well, right. But nobody would have said, take a look at uh, Adventures of the Fourth Doctor Mm -hmm. and Adventures of the Tenth Doctor. Yep. And you go, wow, the one's so old and the other is not. It's sexy and young. Um, A lot of girls would have been... Totally happy to get wrapped up in the fourth (laughs) Doctor scarf uh, at that time. Also, there's a bigger budget now, and it's easier to do cool things now. And so it seems like it's hot and sexy, but it was uh, was hot and sexy then, I would argue. Sure. And so younger and more relevant to people, I know that he's a suit. I know that he doesn't know anything. He couldn't tell you who the guy with pointy ears was on Original Series. Sure. But he also operates as part of an organization. That organization has initiatives and directions and talking points and so mm-hmm. like when I see Alexander Kurtzman answer a question and say making it younger and uh, more relevant to people um, that then I'm going to get worried Okay, but this is troubling because we've, we've all talked about how we're concerned that they are going to really just th- how deep can we get into this goose, goose's guts here right. looking for these eggs um, and I've always been like eh You know, I mean, people love it. The brand will survive. But not if it's throttled to death by uh, focus groups uh, who want it to be younger and more relevant to people. Not because it shouldn't be for young people and be relevant, but because it is and because you don't understand it. and You're missing the forest for the space
0: trees. Right. I yeah, I I, I think. You're right, and that was just like a, a talking point that he heard somebody say somewhere, or or maybe I don't know. Younger is not an attribute that I would say is something that I definitely need for my trek, you know. Um, uh, and and I uh, I just I hope that with all the new trek that's coming out. Uh, It's still something to be excited about and something that uh, is is worthwhile. And and I hope we don't get a bunch of mediocre Trek because that would just that would be the worst, I think.
1: Well, the brand will survive no matter what we get. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It also seems to have survived the slight flap or scandal that happened recently when author Walter Mosley couldn't be fired because he quit. The oh, Star Trek Discovery writers' room uh, after apparently using the N word um, in, okay. a, in a discussion.
0: You did tell me about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't understand why people still think that they can. There are certain words you just shouldn't. You just shouldn't say. You know. And um, I don't care who you think you are. You're not invincible. You're like not threshold. Right. <laughs> right. That's a that's a dirty word in Star Trek.
1: <laughs> well, here's the deal, uh, here, or here is the deal as far as I can ascertain through what I've read. Um, he is a very prolific uh, sci-fi writer. He's also a um, like a mystery thriller novelist as well. Okay. Uh he's got like a um, sort of, you know a gumshoe character in New Orleans. Actually, uh, have you ever heard of the 1995 Denzel Washington movie Devil in a Blue Dress? That is
0: based on have. his
1: first novel in his... Um, oh. I can't remember the guy's name, but okay. the,
0: um,
1: the blah, blah, gumshoe stories or whatever. So
0: his work has been turned he's into... He's been around for a long time, yeah. TV, movies, oh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, All right.
1: I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> the brand manager, David Nevins, the, C- the CCO of uh, CBS, would definitely think of this as a get for the writer's room, right? Sure. Uh, he's African-American, and from what I understand, he was relating a story... I don't know if it was uh, outside of work or if it was part of their work in the room, like a pitch or let's do this, let's do that. He was talking about an event that happened to him or or one that was similar, a real world event. Okay. About the interaction between, I believe, police and uh, African-American people, maybe, maybe not. Um, but anyway, and he said, uh, you know, he used that word in the context of the story.
0: okay. Do you feel like it's different knowing that he's African-American and he used the word and he's not?
1: No. Do you feel like that's Um, I'm asking you. I don't know. Because I I guess I feel
0: I guess I feel somewhat just because I've been told that that's a word that if you are black, you can use it. If you aren't black, you shouldn't use it. But I do kind of feel like it's kind of a really charged word anyways and maybe you just shouldn't see it like well i mean you just described it tuesday? as a word that
1: only certainly certain people can use so yeah that's charged i
0: mean like see me next tuesday I- if you're a woman um is I, it is I don't, it more viable if you use it i, I don't, don't know i
1: don't think there's enough knowledge in the audience of what see you next tuesday means oh, okay. so that i can't make a joke about you saying see me next tuesday did I say, see me next <laughs> yes, Tuesday? Like, oh, oops. See, see, no, you see me next Tuesday. <laughs> that's how, you, that's how I, you get back in that I one. Me, I messed that Ladies, up. Ladies, if anybody ever tosses that out, you tell me, I'll say, see you next Tuesday, see me next Tuesday. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. And look, th- the last thing in the world that I want to do, um, unlike anybody else, everybody else on the internet, including yourself, apparently, uh, is I don't want to tell anybody what to do. And I don't want to-
0: That's completely fair.
1: G- give a judgment when I wasn't there. It's clear that every, every conflict in life, and especially this one, uh, has more than one side and everybody has a grievance and they're probably right. And so basically he um, was approached by, a, so somebody who didn't like h- him using that word mm-hmm. uh, talked to HR. HR contact, t- contacted him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was a, could you tone it down? Or if it was a, we'd like you to go type thing. Uh, right. It's like John Bolton and, uh, and Trump. Like, we'll never know, but we know. Yeah. Uh, and so he basically said, all right, well, I quit. And so I think the fallout is it's only it only helps him. People are going to forget
0: word of mouth out yeah. about. Him, I don't think he did both... it on purpose. No,
1: but it only hurts the CBS side because let's face it. They've had some trouble in the writer's room.
0: Well, that's
1: and I understand them so wanting to be... get out in front of possible problems
0: they might be extra sensitive right but instead
1: now. they look like somebody who is censoring him and he gets to say i guess they just can't handle me because i'm too tough and rough check out the new gumshoe book from something something right yeah so i think that he comes off looking good and cbs comes off looking bad and i think the big mistake was why'd they hire him in the first place i'm sure he's a great writer but what's he doing there like it feels like michael Shabin, who is a great writer is some kind of great get for Star Trek, and I'm sure he's doing a great job in Picard. But why? Why is he there?
0: Yeah, I know. You
1: know, the thing is that you're supposed to like, you know, be a TV writer and work on some stuff under somebody, and then you work, start, you go off on your own, you write some stuff, and you're not supposed to like win a Pulitzer Prize and go, I can't wait to drink bad coffee in a writer's room. No. I can't wait to break a story.
0: That's not like. With a bunch of other people. That's not like a a natural progression. A bunch of Harvard
1: grads. But
0: I I don't know. Maybe that is more of a natural progression these days. Do you think that if you win a writing prize, you're more likely to be sought after for a writing movie? No. No, I
1: don't think that at all. Okay. I know many, many, many authors, all of them great. Nearly all of them have the Jehoshaphat Q Terwilliger Writer's Prize for something. Right. And. all of them would kill their mothers to be in a TV writer's room. So there you go. I guess I'm proving my own thing, but I'm also proving your thing wrong.
0: Okay. I mean, there,
1: see, two sides.
0: Did he just like know somebody or was somebody, did he like mention it at a party? You know, I, I just really love to write look, on Trek. I think it's
1: part of the uh, the David Nevins and the, let's face it, Alex Kurtzman school of making Trek more relevant is that we got to get these people, get this guy in there, get that guy in there. Ron Moore was sleeping on his friend's couch when he submitted like his spec script. Sure. Which by the way was
0: Do you remember which one it was?
1: The 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 brother. It's not the brother. I can't remember who it is. It's it's terrible. It was rewritten Okay. a lot because it wasn't good. Okay. And now he's Ronald E. Moore. Right. So, like you know what I mean? Yeah, I know and in what the you meantime, mean. oh, he did win that uh, that Pul- uh, Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, that's right. No, he didn't. <laughs> because that's I don't know. So I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, we wish him well. Um, don't need setbacks like this. Although when you think no. about it, I, if we had to have something, If this is the worst that happens in season three, we're good. That's, Cause that's season, true. Because season season one, bad bad start. Yeah. Season two. Yeah. That didn't that didn't turn out great. No, it didn't. I'm not talking about the show. I'm talking. I about know the behind you're the talking about star. the writers' yeah. room and stuff. And yeah. so if if this is the worst we get, fine. Yeah. Although at the same time, if you're right, running this thing. You're the showrunner, or you're, you know, you're Michelle Paradise, you're Alex Kurtzman, or you're just the person who must kick all these knuckleheads around and get them in line. You go, Do we let this slide? Can we let yes, this slide? Right. Do we need bad press? Right. So maybe you need to admire their integrity for going, You know what? We don't want to do business this way. Let's just part ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it I is... can
1: cast this a million different ways. Yeah, absolutely. If you want, let's move on to some really good news. Star Trek cleaned up at the 2019 Saturn Awards, winning awesome. best streaming science fiction show, best actress in a streaming presentation for Ms. Ciniko uh, Martin Green, and best supporting actor for DJ Doug Jones.
0: I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well deserved. both of them Um, I I feel like especially Doug Jones I mean Sneaky Martin Green has been doing a fantastic job I just I think that when you play a supporting character um, often it's more of a thankless job than when you play the the main character you know and he's just been killing it just absolutely nailing it and um, I think this last season he got to grow a lot as a character as well uh, because he's 11 feet tall well yeah but uh, and he's just honestly everything I've seen him, in, and he's fantastic. So even you know, um, even
1: that uh, <laughs> that Randy Quaid movie where he played the bug or whatever, right, right. Um, yeah, and it beat some amazing competition too. I mean, it was up against Black Mirror, The Expanse, uh, Good Omens, uh, Jack Ryan, Lost in Space, Russian Doll. First of all,
0: that's a lot. Let's, on, let's a not put one. every show
1: in this category, right? Uh, right. Let's narrow it down a little bit. But yeah, it uh, it beat all those shows.
0: That's pretty impressive, especially with, like, the buzz around a lot of them, like well, The Expanse and rubber. We were talking Ball. about,
1: and we talked about this on Just Enough Trope last week. Um, that is TV. All those, yeah. St- yeah uh, notice I didn't say Teen Wolf. Uh, <laughs> no offense to Teen Wolf lovers, but, like, those are the shows everybody's talking about. Yeah. And they're all on streaming TV.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, good omens, too. A lot of buzz. Will the peacock that.
1: have, like, a cybernetic eye and, like, ha- half of its feathers, its wings are, like you know, circuit laden and it's all like <laughs> the new Peacock, Peacock 2000.
0: Somehow I doubt it, but that might be a, a strong choice. Because the Peacock name. is,
1: should be running scared. But of course now we have got Peacock. Bad name, bad name for your streaming service. Um,
0: it is. And I heard somebody like online, like defending it, being all like, well, actually, you know, NBC has had the, the mascot of a Peacock for since 1950. I don't know how long. But that doesn't mean it makes a great streaming service name. Like, yeah, I know it has a peacock associated with it, but it just sounds like you're prancing around and you are um, you think you're special.
1: It's peacocking?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You've got to call it peacocking.
0: Oh, there you go. Would have... Actually, who does he
1: think that he's informing? I'm just assuming it's a him.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Who is
1: he telling that?
0: He, oh, the people who wait. think that peacock is a you know, lame well, you're name. Right. You're right. You're right. I know. <laughs>
1: I wonder what that rainbow was. Jeez. All right. Well, anyway, uh, it's color. It's because it's color. That was their big thing. They had color yeah, like before anybody else I did. think
0: That's he... Why
1: Star Trek was on. The person
0: said that, too. They were like... They yeah. were the, an advocate for early oh, color Oh, an old TV. school pedant. Mm-hmm.
1: That's my job. Well, also, there's good news in that they won an Emmy Award. The creative Emmys are given out early before the oh. uh, main show comes out. Okay. And they won the Emmy for uh, Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup.
0: That's awesome, and they do a good job at it. They do. So I'm sure there were some other sci-fi shows up for that as well.
1: Um, I Yes, I'm sure there were. Thanks for, once again. Uh, okay, wait. <laughs> I do have it. I've got it. Here's their competition. American Horror Story Apocalypse. That's it? Chernobyl. Yeah, that's it. Chernobyl, <laughs> Game of Thrones, and Fosse Verdon.
0: Wow. Huh. Well, I guess people have prosthetic noses or something yeah, in sure a lot of did. those. Yeah. yeah. But
1: you don't put like the hour is up against like Star Trek six. Well who's Ray, gonna win?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, this is this is that one for Star Trek to just take take okay. down. So well, yeah. hopefully
0: they win others. It did it. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, at least they got got that one. Yeah. Well, that's the news done and dusted, and now we move on to talk about a different kind of dust. Moon dust. Yes. When you do you think These guys all lived a long time. Astronauts live forever.
0: Uh, Is it the ice cream? (laughs) Is that the secret? It must be the food. What is in
1: Tang that keeps astronauts so healthy? No, it's because they're they're chosen for... They wouldn't be sent up if they were sickly. They'd be like, well, "Well, you just stay on the ground. That's true. It's it's, it's, uh, a... What what do you call it? A a, a bias uh, of the data. Sure. Uh, Anyway, um, they're, they're all fine as far as I know, but... Something that you'd have to really worry about is you've got this little silica dust, right? Mm-hmm. That's everywhere, and you're just there's no airlock. Like you're just getting out of the lunar module, right? You're stomping around having a good time, then you come cycle it in the air, come back in, and you're just sitting in your suit that was just a few moments ago out on the lunar surface.
0: Yeah, so absolutely. there had to be
1: dust everywhere, and then once you are out of lunar gravity, it's it's just
0: floating around a dust cloud. Yeah,
1: they have like. Minor Coal Miner's disease. Yeah, no. I think they're okay, though.
0: I think they are, too.
1: Yeah. Um, Something else about the dust that they're worried about is that with no real way to measure it, uh, only through observation, NASA didn't know if when the lunar lander touched down, it would sink into a sea, an ocean of dust. Sure. You know, they didn't know billions of years of uh, micrometeorite impacts, uh, no topsoil, nothing to keep anything in place. It could just be all dust, especially in the uh, Mare Tranquillis in the in the seas that they were landing in. They landed specifically because they weren't um, rocky or or, or mountainous. Um, It could just be like a crater full of of dust, like the old if you're old enough to remember the kind the sand that they put in public um, um, ashtrays in like government buildings. You know the yellow sand. Uh You always stick your hands in there. Your mom's like, get your hands out of there
0: know if I've ever seen it. Okay, well, that. there you
1: go. That's the dividing <laughs> line. So, anyway, yeah, those are the kind of things that the astronauts had to worry about. Also worrying about their families back home and worrying about being the vanguard of humanity, exploring the tip of the spear into space, those three astronauts on Apollo 11, and that is what the book, or the graphic novel, I should say, Apollo is about. Apollo is by Matt Fitch and C.S. Baker with art by Mike Collins, and it was published by the company Self-Made Hero. It was also partially funded by the Arts Council of England.
0: Very cool. Um. Very
1: cool. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could just go with what happens in
0: Apollo? Um, basically, what happens in Apollo is it's the story about uh, Apollo 11 specifically. And um, so we kind of see a little bit of the space program before Apollo 11, and then, like events that led up to um, the launch, uh, but we also see into the lives of all three astronauts, um, and I and I thought that was um, really kind of interesting because it is, you know, at its its core, it, it's about us as as um, Americans, as humans, like going out, exploring space, um, landing on the moon. They've, I think previously they, they you know people walked in space and they orbited the moon but this was you know this was huge um yeah <laughs> I, I know i know it was huge i wasn't alive when it happened yeah but I, I i know it was huge i've seen to, like the footage oh.
1: act like you've been there hey on the moon
0: <laughs> ah. um, that's why neil
1: armstrong he screwed his lineup because he's like yeah whatever he's on the moon. <laughs> God I didn't fall into a sea of dust. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fascinating, and it's weird to think that I think it has a big connection to Star Trek. Um, of course, it, this happened as Star Trek was leaving the airwaves, right? Uh, but at the same time, everybody wanted to go to the moon. Remember that song? Uh, yeah. And I can't remember the group now, but. Uh, and, you know, David Bowie released Space Oddity like a week before yes. uh, the mission. And, of course, 2001 was uh, a year before this. So, yes. like, space, space fever was on everybody's minds. Yeah. Uh, th- and this is all referenced in the book, too, as well. It is. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just a weird time. And I think that it fits or, or it's a great companion piece to um, the idea of Star Trek because it's really literally the only time we've ever done what people on Star Trek do. Which is not to say that all other astronauts are candy asses or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. Or that they're not exploring space. Uh, They absolutely are. But it's the only time that we've ever... Um, touch down on another planetoid and the people that we sent out there specifically uh, Jim Lovell and the guys in Apollo 13 are the humans who have been the farthest away from Earth no human has ever been able to turn around and go that thing the size of my thumb that's where everything that's ever happened in human history happened right over there that thing over there right so just like being able to do that I think if you could just shoot everybody into space like one by one all 7 billion of us or whatever I think things would be different, right? Like, because you'd uh, have a different yes, perspective.
0: Absolutely, it's that
1: pale blue dot that uh, Carl Sagan wrote about.
0: Yeah, um, and I think they even in the graphic novel describe it as like a, as I've heard other people describe, you know, as like a, a like a marble, you know, mm-hmm. blue, mostly brown, <laughs> blue and brown marble. Yeah, you know.
1: Although once again, where's the dividing line? Having to explain to your kids what a marble was.
0: Uh, yeah, that's I mean, You're a girl, true. but do you have marbles? I did actually have marbles. And I actually, I think I got it at a science museum. I had a necklace that you could, that the, the okay. charm was yeah, no, a marble. We're, we're, off, we're off the are off. And, like, you could change no, it. No,
1: like, shooters and steelies and... I
0: mean... Okay, I didn't call them that. I had I had marbles okay. that I could play with. All right, I'm but. not
1: that. I had them, but like as a joke. Like if a four year old could like be doing something ironically, like that was me and marbles.
0: Um, I had them, but like my Barbies played with them. Like they <laughs> were like art pieces for them or something like that. You know.
1: All right. <laughs> There's a Sailor Moon Barbie, right? We're off topic.
0: Oh, um, I don't think Mattel has done a Sailor Moon, um, but they should.
1: Whoa. I want a piece of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. All
1: right. Well, anyway. I mean,
0: there are other dolls for sure. It's
1: but. an amazing. Uh, it's a. It's both a straightforward and a trippy journey into the 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 soul of like America and the men who did this all at the same time. Yeah, which is quite a feat uh, from the writers uh, and also from the artist Mike Collins, mm-hmm. who can simultaneously. Uh, Draw people photorealistically uh, in one part uh, and like the te- technical uh, things that you're seeing. And then um, Mike Collins is just having a talk with the moon. The right. moon is now anthropomorphic, everybody. Right. And he's having a chat with him. And I can recognize these guys because I was a NASA, NASA kid. I was a, okay. a space kid. Okay. Um, even before, like, I was into Star Trek. I thought that was cool. I went to the library trailer.
0: There was a a library trailer in your town. Okay.
1: No, not in my town. Uh, At your school? Yeah. Well, I spent sixth grade in a mobile home uh, classroom because the thing about my school is that we were growing very fast, but half the people there were old and didn't have kids and didn't want to pay for school referendums. And so the compromise was we got these, like, you know portable classroom classrooms? type things yeah okay. and then stuck them on the middle school until we built a new middle school but anyway uh yeah but one of them was a library trailer and i remember going in there and just scouring the thing for like space books and like you can't take that many these little... and <laughs> they, going had a, they
0: had a limit on how much th- you could take well
1: yeah but you're not going to give 25 books to okay a 11-year-old? First fair. of all, he can't carry them. Second of all, how many of those books are coming back? Or like the Scholastic Book Fair, just combing through for yes. the almanacs and stuff and yeah. memorizing all things. I almost got in a fight with a kid on the bus once over which was hotter, Venus or Mercury. Oh boy. Of course, I said Venus. I was correct because of the greenhouse effect. Sure. But anyway, that kid now probably works in the Trump administration for <laughs> uh, the EPA. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was always into this stuff and it's like, yeah, that's that's Alan Shepard's face. You know, that's Jim Lovell's face. That's Buzz Aldrin's face. Although if you've seen 30 Rock, you've seen Buzz Aldrin's face uh, yelling at the moon. So, yeah, for me, it's like, oh, I I really love this kind of thing. It's just I really connect with it. What about you? As somebody who never cared about space, frankly, would be happy if space disappeared tomorrow. Oh,
0: that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair at all. Um. I okay, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. I, I did not know a lot about Apollo 11 going into this, and I feel like I learned a lot.
1: You knew there was 10 before it.
0: <laughs> right. It's um, a safe bet. Um, and you know, I knew um, you know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Buzz Aldrin. I don't think I even knew the Michael Michael Collins name before um, reading this. Um, which I'm a little embarrassed about. I'm actually quite embarrassed by a lot of it that I didn't know, Uh, but maybe I could also be positive and say that this will also be an interesting story and kind of their own take on things uh, was very educational and I feel like I learned a lot from it. Yeah. I guess I just honestly just never thought about how Nixon was the president when this happened. That,
1: yeah, that's I don't fascinating.
0: Know why I never thought about that.
1: And I mean, you know, yada 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 all that inspirational, you know, hoghorn swoggle about like the human spirit and and right. going to other places like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like what amazes me is that this happened over the course of uh three administrations. Yes. And about, you know, just a little under 10 years. You got Yeah, one, it happened really fast. One guy who's really. up for reelection <laughs> says, uh we're going to the moon. Uh, And then, you know, he uh, is removed from the picture, and then another guy who's got a whole other thing to clean up kind of sticks with it. And we get to Nixon, and yeah, and he's the guy who still sees this through. Yeah. It's just amazing. When you think about what we – the gridlock that we've got – well, that we had then, but we've also got now – Fixing healthcare, whatever the problem is, and we can't seem to get anything done. Right, and the fact that no, we're we're gonna do this. We are gonna go to the moon, and then we're gonna do it a bunch of times. Like it's just it's amazing. It is amazing. And this story starts, like many stories about um, the Apollo program, start. Um, you got to start down. You got to start in the yes. dumps. You, so you, you got to make go it somewhere. to the mountain. So yeah. it does start, of course, with the accident and Apollo One.
0: Yes,
1: and losing those astronauts there, and then that sort of idea of not wanting to let people down, but also having tragedy in the past uh, sort of supports everything that um, that happens. What, what I find is really interesting that Baker and Fitch have done is that they've given um, each astronaut their own sort of arc. Yes. And a lot of this is, um, like I said, it's like creative interpretation. It's kind mm-hmm. of their own uh, sort of weaving of a, of a narrative out of this. Yeah. But I, I love the sort of individual um, arcs that they give every character and digging into... The kind of most interesting thing about them, and also it's they had a lot of support in the real world as well. Um, they based a lot of this off of um, everybody's biography, basically. They oh, all sure. wrote a biography or not a biography, uh, Aldrin and um, and everybody else, um, and also uh, you know, uh, first man. Um, the Damien Chazelle movie that <laughs> uh, <laughs> came out recently. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, well, there's uh, that was based on a book, of course, uh, about the life of Neil Armstrong, who himself sure. was kind of a retiring guy. Like, he literally retired, basically, mm-hmm. like, after he got back. He's like, ah, I'm good. Oh, you want to be a politician? That's, that's a cool thing the astronauts do. No, no, I'm fine. Farm. Just going <laughs> to hang out and do stuff, so. But yeah, you see, like, his life and, and him um, thinking about his responsibility yep. as this guy, um, his... The tragedy that he's experienced, you know, his wife, the daughter they lost. uh, Yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah, she had a tumor and uh, died suddenly. And yeah.
0: Yeah, it's really tragic.
1: Yeah. And then you deal with uh, Buzz Aldrin as well, who, who, it's true, you know, his father was like an aviator. He was um, a research uh, engineer. He developed experimental aircraft. I don't know if he ever like showed... Howard Hughes, a picture of the X-1, a sketch. Ha, right. But when you get a scene like that. Yeah. And so you see Buzz himself trying to fight this, like, drive that his father has put into him. And you have this little runner about, like, shouldn't I be the guy that goes at first, though? Like, why does Neil get to go first? Right. <laughs> and then he's got, I think it's Alan Shepard. He calls him Al, uh, who the first man in space, first American in space, who's like, oh, come on. What, are you going to make a big deal out of this? Like, this is good for everybody. Like, right. why do you want to be... Uh, and then even when Neil's stepping off the thing, Buzz's still like, there well, he goes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess he's number, I guess I'm number two.
0: And honestly, I feel like that is a, a very human thing to to feel. Um, and I, you know, like, because who is going to be known as the first man on the moon? Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to be the one who is enshrined in history as that. You yeah, Neil
1: you know, Armstrong wasn't on 30 Rock, though. No, he wasn't. Or Dancing with the Stars. Right. (laughs) Maybe that explains Buzz's post-Apollo life of like, uh, we'd like you to, I'll do it. I'll do it. He
0: didn't want to say no to anything. Might be an opportunity he could miss. Yeah. I think maybe this is just me and maybe I'm weird, but I feel like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, I feel like... Those sound like names of astronauts. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, they just, like, it just sounds like, what?
1: Let's be clear. Mid-50s, mid-60s astronauts.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Krista McAuliffe is the the name of an astronaut.
0: Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sally Ride is an astronaut's name.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, But yes, steely-eyed missile men. Yes, that's right. Gemini boys. Yeah. Yeah, right.
0: Um, Gemini Men! Yes, exactly. Woo. And isn't like Buzz Lightyear named after Buzz Aldrin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So there you go.
1: <laughs> Buzz Aldrin's <laughs> just watching Toy Story <laughs> over and over again on repeat. He's like, yeah, <laughs> take that, Neil. <laughs> One small step for a toy. <laughs> Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the the, the storyline also encompasses other things that were going on. There's, you know, a Vietnam scene that we see. Yeah. Um, there's uh, we see people's reaction to things. There's there's it's funny because a lot of people have criticized Claire Foy's portrayal of um, of Mrs. Arm- Janet Armstrong in uh, First Man because, of course, what do you do if you are a of hacky writer that's doing a space thing? You're like, I want to go. You have a family. Oh,
0: you have two yeah. boys here. I don't think she, like, in real life harped on him that much. No,
1: you're an astronaut's wife. You know, if you make a big scene at all, it's because you literally have, like, uh, a social anxiety condition. And sure. you have to call and Ed Harris has to talk you down on the phone in probably the best scene from uh, The Right Stuff. Um <laughs> But yeah, but like she's an astronaut's wife, and so you get this little thing where the kid's kinda freaked out and she's like, Oh, daddy's gonna be fine, you know, it's gonna it's a long way, but he'll come home. Okay, good night. And then into this wordless scene she goes out and she's like (laughs) wine bottle sigs on top of the fridge <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it just goes out and just like smokes a cigarette and it's
0: like <sighs> yeah exactly And then of that's, course, that's, that's en- her freak out yeah
1: and it's yeah and it's end capped later on with like the groovy reporter being like Well what's it like your husband's like the first man walking the moon and she's like yeah well he's got a choice to do when he gets back
0: right and and then she's like i gotta finish cleaning up too <laughs> yeah. and then there's like this great scene where she has her back on the door and it's just like she takes a little breath i think something that also is in the story too is uh neil and like his family i I, their their faith i think that that is definitely something that's brought up and something that helps him and and his family to an extent um get through something as stressful is daddy gonna come home or not yeah
1: yeah for sure um yeah, it's those little human moments that really, like, for me, um, that sell it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some, like I said, there's great art, there's some great writing. I love the... And Mike Collins, just to be fair, like, Mike Collins never... <laughs> the, the the book emphasizes um, the pressure that he must have felt yes. being, at that time, you know, the man farthest from earth, but also the first guy ever to do a... Um, a, a, a docking you know a space docking thing. yeah yeah uh, he had to do it you know uh on Earth, just
0: right uh when they right. were turning
1: the, the module around but yeah so he had to pick those guys up and it's like he's worried if they crash and die on the surface but he's really worried if
0: he they come up them. and he
1: messes up and yeah. kills them both and he's the guy that killed the first guy on the right moon. exactly and there's this very simple but very good metaphor of him making a basketball shot basically it's like you miss the shot you know, then what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course they continue that metaphor because when he does it, it doesn't really even show them connecting. It just cuts to like the ball going through the hoop and <laughs> yeah. it's like so.
0: Yeah. And then he has, I don't know if you would call it like a dream or if he's just kind of yeah. talking to somebody but well, he's that's... talking to like this cool hippie who like represents like America and American stuff like spirit,
1: that. spirit, man. Yeah. It's all natural. Right. No additives.
0: Because he's like all alone for, you know, a, a good chunk of time while the other two guys are on Which the Which I looked
1: it up and I thought, like, if you're out there, like, are you just sort of like hallucinating, you know, in your loneliness and tripping out and right. like uh, Pink Floyd? And apparently, no, he just he slept a lot.
0: Oh, well, I mean, he that had makes a couple, sense. Yeah, he
1: had a couple things to do and he was kind of bored, but he's also like, I got to get good rest because I got to be able to catch these guys. I got to be ready. He's going to sleep. Yeah. yeah. But um, maybe he dreamed. They're, dreams are a part of all of this. Like, yes. Dr- Neil is constantly dreaming about the Apollo 1 astronauts. He's dreaming about, like, the house and the Christmas tree, you know, and his daughter uh, yeah. uh, dying. And and so, and then Mike's having these dreams, uh, you know, as well about the funky man on the moon. and Yes. Yeah. It's just like, I think that theme of dreams is very fitting for this kind of thing, not only because it's the American dream to explore exactly. and this dream of you know meeting new life and new civilizations but also you know it's like the moon and it's night and it's sleep and it's this whole idea of you know yeah it's cool yeah no. i don't have to explain it to you you read it
0: <laughs> uh, you anything know, else that I, you wanted cool.
1: to say about the uh about the book
0: um i i guess i just wanted to say you know you mentioned about how buzz kind of and i don't know how neil felt about because he was the first man on the moon but how buzz felt like this kind of Competition and kind of felt like, whoa, I want to be the first guy. Um, you don't get that from from Mike Collins, like at all. Like no. he just seems perfectly happy to be there, uh, no. to do his one job and do it well.
1: That's the guy you need. Yeah, that's the guy he you are catching he was, you.
0: He was perfect for for what he needed to do.
1: Yeah, it's not a one to one comparison because there's nothing that has to. I, Neil uh, wasn't picked because he was a showman or something like that sure. he was just picked because he was solid and he was a good commander right. and a good pilot but him and Buzz are the stars of this show and the book makes it that metaphor explicit when they cut to like a stage like a set yeah. where they're on stage and then Mike is sort of waiting in the wings like a tech like a crew member or something like yeah, that yeah like he's a just great like,
0: stage manager yeah, or something
1: yeah alright well keep keep the show going and then I'll be there to bring the curtain down so exactly yeah
0: um, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, I, I think that they, they tell the story really well and they have a lot of really technical things involved in the story as well. I think they just kind of yeah. keep the accuracy and that sort of thing. And yeah. But it,
1: you know what? It wasn't too technical though.
0: No. And I don't think it ever bogs the story down.
1: I used to literally read like the mission logs. This is like pre-internet, so I don't really know where I got them from. But like, (laughs) you could like read the library, uh, maybe the mission logs of like, you know, all right, stand by at this time. You know, there's a pre-flight checklist, do all this stuff, and then also you could listen to yeah, it's probably the library. You could listen to because it's all recorded,
0: yeah, uh, for posterity.
1: You could listen to the actual audio, and a lot of it's boring. You know, you fast forward to like uh, one small step for man. I remember when we talked to. Uh, Amy Shearer Title from yes, Vintage Space. Yeah, I was space. just thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, she does that, and um, other like, space heads do that for anniversaries. They'll like live tweet um, parts of the Apollo mission. And so nowadays, it's online. I'm sure, I'm positive oh, you can go I'm on sure YouTube or even NASA.gov and just get like the raw data of yeah. this stuff. But yeah, I used to love that stuff. My- but if you don't want to go through all that... If you don't know what an RCS thruster is, or right. whatever, then this is this is pretty good.
0: This is pretty good, and um, uh, there are even some some technical drawings at the at the at the very end of the graphic novel of um, the moon lander. I can't even remember what it's called because the I'm limb? yeah, and uh, you know a couple of other things as well that go into Apollo Eleven, and uh, so I thought that was pretty neat. Um, and i you know i think you can get you get a really great story out of this but if if you're interested in the technical stuff that's present too
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, I would absolutely recommend it. it. sounds like you would as well. Yes. And you can definitely check it out, and you should definitely check it out. Uh, you can get it on Amazon mm-hmm. uh, or other places you buy books. We'll leave a link in the show notes where you can pick up this graphic novel. Uh, and also, I want to recommend some other books and works uh, related to this subject. Yeah. Uh, on Just Enough Trope, earlier this year, we talked to an author named Nancy Atkinson yes. who wrote a book called Eight Years to the Moon, The History of the Apollo Missions, which is an overview of the entire Apollo, Apollo program, And even she admits, uh, like the guys in the book do, like, you know, 12, 13, 14, no one's going to care after that, which isn't totally true, but public interest did wane after Apollo 11. Well, uh, she yeah. says in her book, the book basically wraps up with Apollo 11. She didn't go past that because... This is the the, big show, yeah. Yeah. But what she did was, is that she went to a lot of the technical people. She went to a lot of the the behind-the-scenes people, the engineers, the people working in Mission Control, the people that you wouldn't normally hear from when you think of the stars of the Apollo program. And so it is a oral history of the uh, eight years of the Apollo program. Um, Yeah, I would definitely recommend that as well. You can get that on Amazon and what the hell Claire Foy Foy aside check out First Man Uh, a lot of people have uh, a lot of great things to say about it wouldn't you want to see that little cute little guy playing Neil Armstrong (laughs) he won't eat his cereal he's like no no I don't want I don't want the cereal but uh, if you were gonna (laughs) I don't think that I don't think that uh, Ryan Gosling looks anything like uh, Neil Armstrong but if you were gonna cast uh, Neil Armstrong who would you cast
0: uh, oh boy. I don't I don't Did know. Did I hear
1: Tom Cruise? I don't know. I don't know. I bet, I, he, was, I bet he auditioned. I
0: was actually thinking Matt Damon, but I don't know. Oh my if he'd god. With Matt not.
1: Damon all the time. Yeah, yes. Yes. He absolutely looks like he's just some German Irish dude right. You put a fishbowl on his head. I get it, yeah. but it's been done. <laughs>
0: Okay, who, who would you cast? Oh, well, here we go. Yeah. Huh.
1: Timothy Shalman. <laughs> Moving on. Well, thanks for uh, joining us on the show, us, yeah, being me, and the absolutely. listeners. Uh, it's great to have you, as always. Uh, what is great coming maker. up on the Just Enough Tro podcast?
0: Uh, yeah, we are actually going to be talking about the Downton Abbey movie. Very excited about that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I know.
1: what? Who, who does Matt Damon play in that? <laughs>
0: He just plays one of the servants, you know, not a big role. Yeah. Uh, He
1: loves these little cameos now.
0: I know, right? He wants to
1: be in everything. Then we all caught on that he was in everything. So now he's like, I still want to be in everything. Get a little
0: little, little bit in everything. A little bit in everything. exactly. So he'll be
1: in Thor or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um... And then uh, we actually have been watching quite a few Jean-Claude Van Damme films. So expect a show about Jean-Claude Van Damme in the near future. I know
1: that you're not ready with your preparation for your Jean-Claude Van Damme introspective. Uh,
0: not yet. But, but
1: what have you learned so far?
0: I think his movies, like a lot of action stars, are kind of similar. <laughs> have similar plots. Well, give like game away. Here. Involve like his brother like <laughs> dying or some family member dying and then him avenging their death. Or, you know, like his brother or his wife dying. Or maybe there is a sibling he doesn't know about and then he finds out about them and then he's playing both roles. Um, and as always, lots of kicking in the face. Sure. So sure. that's his signature move.
1: One follow-up question. What kind of a name is Chance? <laughs>
0: Because my mother took a chance on me. <laughs> no!
1: <laughs> Thanks again to Mika for talking Apollo with me and for rounding up the news. If you want to hear all the news that's fit to cast in the world of nerdy entertainment, catch the Just Enough Trope podcast every Monday for news, reviews, and our views on geeky topics. Check us out at JustEnoughTrope on Twitter and at JustEnoughTrope.com on the web and sample all of the fine content and shows on the Just Enough Trope network. If you want to get your hands on a copy of Apollo, you can do that thing. I've got a link in the show notes that will take you to Amazon.com where you can purchase Apollo or Nancy Atkinson's Eight Years to the Moon or First Man. When you get to Amazon by clicking through our links or on our Amazon banner at enterprisingindividuals.com, a percentage of your transaction on Amazon comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep the warp core lit here. And that counts for anything. It's not just space stuff. In fact, you can bookmark that link, and when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever you buy, the same deal applies. It's a great way to help support the show. Anytime you shop on Amazon, click through our Amazon banner or through your bookmark or saved link and shop away. And maybe you're saying, look, I've already got Apollo, and I love it, and I want to see Matt Damon in the movie adaptation. To which I would say, if we have to go that route, He's got to play Nixon, right? I mean, that that I would pay to see. Or or the man in the moon. Get Matt Damon to play the literal moon, Georges Millier style, and maybe his thirst for cinema ubiquity will finally be slaked. But I would also say, if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Pod. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly amount and you can get access to exclusive subscriber content. Joining at our cadet tier gives you access to our live episodes, like our episode from this year's Convergence about Star Trek 2009, plus DS9 and Voyager rewatch recaps and sneak peeks at what's coming up on the show, all of which are yours for being a cadet for just $12 a year. If you join at the next level, the $5 Ensign level, you get all that, plus our aforementioned extended interviews, which we call Live Gah, our unpublished content where I go off the trek rails with some of our show guests about fun and fascinating topics. So get involved. Join the crew of the USS Enterprising Individuals. Just head to patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. Anyone can join our crew. There's no arguing about who goes first. All are welcome at patreon.com Forward slash eistpod, and as always, the best way to support the show is to tell a friend. Anything you contribute to the show will be appreciated, and will help keep us flying. Thanks. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show, and maybe have your comment read right on the air. Just go to facebook.com/forward slash E-I-S-T-Pot. EIST pod or you can find us at at EIST pod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. Join our Facebook discussion group. It's called enterprising interlocutions. It's there that we continue the discussion of the themes and characters we talk about on the show. We also have a discord channel. Check out the link in the show notes where you can hook up with us on discord. You can chat with us about star Trek movies and TV comics, video games, all the topics covered by Just Enough Trope Network shows. You can also reach this show at eistpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions, or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on the old Apple Podcasts? Make sure you've subscribed to the show, and please write a little review if the spirit moves you, and give us a rating at the very least. We really appreciate it, and it really does help the show when you leave a review and you give us a rating. If you're not an Apple Podcasts user, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments, ratings, and reviews on those platforms as well, we'd be eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals, Star Trek presents, in many ways, the future that we want to live in, with cool toys and neat aliens and none of that pesky discrimination stuff ruining anybody's fun. But Trek is made by primitive 20th and 21st century humans, and those humans answer to networks, which often have all the adventurousness of Victorian hypochondriacs, which means that the points that Trek tries to make about our society are very often blunted. Writer Eleanor Tremere returns to the show next week to talk about an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that refused to water down its depiction of a same-sex relationship, giving hope to many fans who themselves had experienced discrimination and establishing canonically that love is love in the Star Trek universe. It's rejoined next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban signing off and saying live long and prosper.